Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your listening enjoyment. I moved to Houston when I was 16. That's when I was starting to get interested in autographs, okay. transitioning away from cards because cards started to get a little weird in 93, 94, 95, 96, because that's when the super premium stuff started getting introduced. So I was inadvertently as a 15-year-old kid getting priced out of Topps Finest, getting priced out of Upper Deck SP. So it's a natural interest. And then I could drive. So I could drive to the Astrodome and chase autographs. I could drive to the team hotel. And so that's actually where I met my business partner in the ticketing business was chasing autographs. It's funny, one of the guys that was with us, he became CFO of an oil and gas company. Another guy became a sports broadcaster on CNN. My business partner and I, we have our business. We went off and did different types of moderately just very successful things, depending on the way you look at it. And a lot of it was just learning the strategy of who are you going to go after? We have to invest in getting photos to get them signed or get them to sign a ball. Who's worth putting on a ball? Who's worth putting on a photo? Hey, should you get this card signed or that card signed? And then how are you going to market on eBay? Those types of marketing decisions we were learning at 16 to 19 years old, I think helped all of us 20 years Later down the road. Yeah, yes. I haven't said it exactly this way, but the young people who were really into collecting and were enterprising in that way learned to not be intimidated by business. You can know what to do. You can figure it out. And so some self-confidence that's that comes from that. And what especially in those days was more of an adult hobby. Now the younger guys have a lot of money. The older guys had still have some money, but right. it's flipped because yeah. back 30 years ago, the young kids didn't have as much money. It was all the baby boomers that had all the money. I'm sort of nervous about what lessons these 12 year olds are learning flipping dozens of thousands of dollars worth of cards. They're learning about flipping. Right. They're not learning about business. business. They're not learning business. They're not learning it's, marketing. It's, it's marketing, but it's short-term marketing. Building an enduring brand. I know that's what you're doing or have done or trying to do. You want to gain market share and have more relationships. And the hobby's like that now. Yeah. It's really moved up market in terms of a lot more professionalism, a lot more private equities involved. You mentioned you're a little bit of a contrary to me. I think everybody should be at least some percentage contrary because if you're totally going along and you're buying what's being hyped, I won't say you're guaranteed to be overpaying, but when everybody's looking for something, it drives the price up. Yes. And so I want to buy what people aren't hyping. I want to buy something that might eventually be hyped, but not right now. How are you figuring that out? We went through our cycle of, I was basically just getting a couple eras ahead of where the market was. I remember buying stacks of 1987 tops, Bo Jackson, PSA 10 or BGS 95s for around 35, 40 bucks. Cause that's where they'd always been and buying lots of them in 10. And all of a sudden that card quintupled. Now it's come back down, but I saw that opportunity. So it's like, what's next in my opinion of where there's still value. And I always give disclaimers like, look, this is not financial advice. Please do your own research. It's a very nuanced market, but I think game used is completely undervalued relative to so many other segments of the hobby. And I always joke about, we see these logo men cards selling for 5X where you can buy an entire jersey for. 
Eventually, that gets That's corrected. Correct. It's in the process of being corrected. It's going to get corrected. And I think fanatics is going to be a real Absolutely. catalyst in that. Absolutely. Okay, but you mentioned that you have your opinion about something. Yeah. So this is, it's speculative. Oh, yeah. You're willing to bet that you're right about where things are going. Yes. But what people are doing now is they're listening to influencers. Mm. I don't think you were. No. I think you were maybe gathering information as anybody going into a field would try to figure yeah. out. But ultimately, you're saying, I, Patrick, am willing to bet on this. Maybe a few people see it, but this is what I see. I think this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to double down on this trend that has not fully emerged yet. Is that what you're saying? Sort of, but it's also, so I own two game-used Luka Doncic jerseys. I hold one of those jerseys and like electricity goes through my fingers, yeah. okay? And it's, wait a second, there are a hundred awesome patch cards. There's a logo man. There's the gold tag in the back. There's the sponsor logo. Here's a three color patch. Here's a two color patch. I'm like, I'm sitting on a million dollars worth of Luca cards in this one jersey. Plus I can watch the highlights from that game. It's not just an anonymous logo man. It just gets me so excited to have that connectivity to him. I do love how the players are represented on cards. I love how when players sign cards, they get connected to it. But then the game-used item is the ultimate okay. connection. Okay. So basically what you're saying is what we should be excited about Fanatics being involved, particularly because they already have the memorabilia division. They're partnering with the players. Yes. So they've, they've got jerseys for sale, not necessarily all game-used. So... Ultimately, the factor of being able to explain why we love this industry, this niche, I think most non-card collectors are going to just fawn over the jersey and not the swatch or the logo man that's on a card, in spite of the fact that the value proposition would make no sense to a non-collector. Right. Sometimes having my friends who like sports but aren't collectors, they can be a you good... you got something for them. There's that. They're also a good barometer. So when I have a friend come over and I show them a sealed video game... They're like, that's so weird. Like, why wasn't it played? I had bought a couple of sealed video games, but I actually love the loose cartridges. Yeah. And I like getting them autographed if it's related to someone. So I do the vintage video game market, but people are like, why is it sealed? What happened to it? Why wasn't it played? So the casual fan can point out gaps in logic. Now, I'm not going to bet against the video game market, but that resonated with me. So to your point, you show someone a card and they're like, this Giannis logo man from 2018 is a $70,000 card or this game used jersey of which I have cost me $15,000. A casual sports fan would be like, what? And you don't even know what game that logo man is from? What's wrong here? NBAauctions.com is owned by May Gray. And May Gray currently has the contracts with the teams in the league to get X number of jerseys a year. Uh, maybe Fanatics has already pre-bought those contracts the way they did the, the trading card licenses. But once they get the NBAauctions.com and they get the rights to all the jerseys, then it's going to be outrageously awesome. Okay. For you and maybe for everybody. But my point I was going to make is for the Fanatics model of what they're paying and their vision for it, there need to be 10 times as many collectors. Oh. So when there's 10 times as many collectors, we, I've never thought about it this way until now to realize that it's not going to be 10 times the number of collectors in the way they think now. It's not going to be the same configuration. There's going to be way more casual collectors. Yes. There's going to be way more memorabilia, team, player-oriented things. The day of getting complete sets, of buying the flagship set in a factory set or piecing together a 700-card set or something, I think that's not going to grow 10x, I don't think. 
hundred percent okay. agree with you. But there are going to be ten times as many people aware and interested in cards and collectibles. Yes, and maybe it's going to flip to where it's collectibles and cards. And we've seen it because we've seen right that. now yeah. it's cards and collectibles. When Fanatics gets done with their marketing push, which I think is going to be a crescendo, then it's I think it's going to be collectibles and cards. And I think we've seen history. I think fifteen years ago. Upper Deck Authenticated was a much bigger business than Upper Deck Trading Cards. So we've seen it ebb and flow before. Now if Fanatics get positioned to just get in front of more people and not just present their trading cards. It's whatever you want. Yeah, it's whatever you want. Not just that. Michael Rubin has perfected the customer intimacy involved with fandom and sports. He's got big data. He's got all this CRM kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. To know... What to market to the people. Yes. And give them more what they want and source it for them. Fanatics is going to have so many partnerships that if you want it, they're going to get it for you. They're right. going to deliver it to you. I don't know that they're going to be grading, but they'll make sure it gets graded if that's what you want. They're going to make sure you have a positive experience so you can tell your friends. So you get the 10X. And I also think that you got, as you being an entrepreneur, it comes down to the people running the business. I know a good number of the people there. They've got some phenomenal executives. But here's a funny little connection where we're going to talk about patch cards and then memorabilia. The person running their memorabilia business is Victor Schaefer. Yeah, I've known Victor for 30 years. So what people don't realize is, so a card I just acquired that's going in my 100-card case, the 1996 Press Pass, Burning Rubber, that's Dale the, Earnhardt. That's the first. That's the first. And that's Victor. That's Victor. Yeah. And, and guess what I love about all the Press Pass game use cards? They have the date. No, uh, Victor was ahead of his time. We're going to get back to that time. If we get back to the time where all the patch cards Victor have the is date, not in the, is in the memorabilia division more than we're going to get him back. He's got to get back he to has cards. The influence, yeah. Because let me tell you, then all of a sudden I do see the patch cards holding a ton more value when it's a picture from that game. The person's stat line is on so that game. What they're doing now, now, and there's other podcasts that do this, and I respect them for being really into it, but they're complaining. That some of these patch cards do not have the provenance or that you can't game photo match them and stuff like that. But the market will figure that out. Yes. And if what you say is true, and I believe it will happen, as you say, because Fanatics understands that. That additional point of distinction is greater value. It increases the narrative and the story of it. So I think that's going to happen. These nondescript patches yes. are going to be... Not in the dollar box, but going to be more mundane. Even though it's the same player, if you can't connect it, and that's yep. why NFTs will probably come in yes. with some tie-in. Because NFTs as a standalone photo op, I think, not in That's done, yeah. But NFTs as a ride-along, as a validator, yep. as an experience adder in some yes. way that really could happen and that's could happening be. in the ticketing space which is your space and, yeah it's not just the nft it's the blockchain no blockchain's here to stay and these uh, need to evolve so the nfts just happen to be an efficient way to use a digital contract i.e the blockchain so what i like about pairing up whether it be a game used jersey or a patch card is the nft can be the highlights from that game yes Okay. That validates the... And then it validates it and they can live and together. it's meaningful. There's a nexus. Yeah. That's why crypto is not dead is because... It's not dead. No, by no. any means. And so it's... Look, what's going to happen is there could be a clearinghouse where, okay, someone's got to pay for the NFT, but the NFT doesn't get transferred till the physical jersey also arrives to the person's vault or their personal house. And the NFT 
is important because it has the highlights. I have to be a clearinghouse. <coughs> when we have when a physical, physical item. Because the physical is connected, disconnected yeah. from the thing. There has yeah. to be some, what is it called, trade safe? There's some, there could be, or like some, what Emmett Smith has done, quite frankly, to an extent. RFID? Um, what is it? RFID. And so, to me, and I also love that there's now technology where there's really good screens to show your NFTs. I want people to walk into my game use jersey room and they just see the highlights. Like every jersey has a screen. Me trying to create that off YouTube or paying some kid to find the highlights for my game use jerseys is so taxing. That's where NBA Top Shot, if there's just some connectivity between the NFT, the player, the item, the card, I think the market can grow exponentially. Because it doesn't seem gratuitous. (laughs) Totally. It's connected to something. Because the problem with Top Shot is you didn't own the rights to that highlight. You couldn't monetize that highlight. Not sure what you owned. You're not not sure what you owned, right? But if you complete a set of Giannis Top Shots, you get entered into a raffle to meet him. That's one thing. Or the golden Top Shot is tied to the game used jersey. Then that has some value. Basically, everything happened too quickly without proper linkage. Once everything gets linked up together, we're going to see some real boom and some real fun. And then the curation of people's collection gets really exciting. You've got a top 100. Totally respect that. My top 1,000, is that just too unmanageable? Because I've been a collector for a long time. I'm older than you. I have the benefit of having a lot of stuff. But it's difficult to manage. Then I have a lot of other cards. Right. So... Am I a dinosaur? Do I need to really consolidate? No, no. I did it as a point of being so active in building and trading upwards that I needed some guardrails. It's less about the volume and physicality as it is just the mental guardrails. I will tell you that I also have a 200 case. So I've got my 100 iconic cards. Then I've got 150 signed rookies, okay. and then I've got 50 tickets, and then I've got 10 game-used items. Once I get to a place of being able to better display and better to store, it'll be at a 1,000 okay. easily. I also think that you could say, like, the 1991 Top Stadium Club, a complete set in a binder, that's 300 cards. That's one item. One entry in a spreadsheet. So when I get more space, I'm going to be passionate about building binders. Flipping through the binders is, like, such an antiquated thing that I think... Is so fun, but people love it. It's coming back around. It's coming back around. With safer plastic sheets. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And people knowing not to put them in the attic.